Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high achieving and ambitious mid level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook. Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How's it going? How's your March treating you? I hope it's beautiful where you are. And uh, I don't know, are you experiencing pollen (laughs) from hell like I am? Hey, if you haven't checked out my free monthly webinars, check out the link in the show notes. See what this month's webinar is. It's jam-packed full of job search-related content. No charge, no obligation. So I hope you'll join us in an upcoming webinar. Today, we're talking about the signs of job burnout and what to do about them. The first thing I want to say about this topic is that there is the job burnout you can recover from without leaving your current job, that you can do some work on yourself. You know, the only people we can change in this world are ourselves. Things that we can do about our situation to make it more palatable. And then there is the job burnout that is going to require you to move on. And I've tried to differentiate between these two as I've gone through this list. I got some help from Forbes.com and Greater Good Magazine for this episode, as well as, of course, my own wisdom. I think some of you know your burnout. You're very well aware of it. It is quite obvious for you. But for others of you, it may be like, this is the analogy that I often use with a lot of things, but it's like... You've got this light fixture in the room and the bulbs keep burning out slowly one by one and you don't notice that the room is getting darker and darker and darker until the final bulb blows out and you are in darkness. And then, of course, you replace all of those bulbs or you have someone do that for you and you realize just how bright the room could be and hasn't been. And I think that that's a great analogy for burnout. It can sometimes happen very slowly and insidiously. And it's not until we leave that situation and go on to another job that is wonderful and we can look back and realize it was way worse than we realized. I'm actually working with a client right now who's very well aware of what a mess her company is. And so we talked about this just last night when I was coaching her was, I have a lot of clients who don't think it's all that bad until they get out of it. And then they realize that it was. Well, can you imagine if you realize how bad it is now and you're still in it? What are you going to see when you leave it and look back? So keep that in mind that some of these situations, you're just going to need to move on. And I'm going to help you know which is which. All right, so causes of the symptoms of job burnout. What are the causes that that create these symptoms? Number one, lack of job control and or the resources needed to effectively do your job. So here's the question to ask yourself. Do I feel in control of my job? 
Do I have the necessary resources to succeed in my job? And we're not talking about an isolated incident of I didn't have the report that time. We're talking about an ongoing issue with not having the resources, not having control, being in a reactive mode at all times, sort of feeling like all you ever do is put out fires. So here's the cure for this one. Talk to your boss about what you need to be effective and what is getting in the way of that. We want to make the assumption oftentimes that our boss should just know that there's a problem. They should know what the problem is. And if they're not fixing it, it's because they don't want to or they don't like us or whatever story we make up. But a lot of times it's the boss is so busy and has so many irons in the fire that until you stop him or her and say, this is what's going on for me, this is what I need, you're not going to get a change. You're not going to experience it, have a different experience at work. If your boss balks at your problem, dismisses it, won't help you, then that's a sign clearly that you need to move on. Whether it is a systemic problem in the company where you need to leave the company altogether or you need a different boss. But by all means, if you don't have a boss who is giving you the tools to be successful in the job, there's a problem. Number two is work overload. Ask yourself this question. Does the company culture reward results or time spent at work? Would I be penalized for working less even if I still achieve the same results? You know, we have this I think insane culture in the United States where we've just sort of arbitrarily said you have to be at work 40 hours a week. And I can remember when I was in higher education, there would be so many afternoons at three or four o'clock in the afternoon where I was done mentally. I had given all I could give. I had done all I could do. And I kept myself there because that's what we were supposed to do. And heaven forbid we should leave early or come in late or any of those things. The cure for this one is to meet with your boss about some of the lower priority assignments that you have been given so that you have his help or her help in rearranging your workload. If you feel like you have work overload, you want to get some help from the boss on how to rearrange that schedule. And if the company culture is such that you're penalized for leaving at a reasonable hour, look elsewhere. So the the client that I mentioned is famous for, she's still there at seven o'clock at night. They regularly will call an eight o'clock meeting for that night at seven o'clock. And she gets calls all Saturday, all Sunday. A, she can't get any work done. She's just reacting. But also that's a lot of stress to have that many calls and that many demands on your time. No time to work out, no time to be with friends, no time to eat. So number three is unclear job expectations. So you want to ask yourself, do I clearly understand my boss's expectations of what I need to accomplish in the job, how success will be measured? Do I know what it is I'm supposed to be doing? And the cure for this is if you don't have a written description, you want to ask for one or make a stab at writing one, meet with your boss about it. Somehow you need to get some parameters in your hand. And you want to get clarification from your boss on the priorities and the expectations. You know, this is particularly important early in your time with a new boss and in a new job is, okay, first 90 days, what are my top three priorities? How will my success with these priorities be measured? You know, and and as we said earlier, if you're feeling overloaded, you go to your boss to say, okay, here's what I'm thinking we can put on the back burner. I'm thinking that Rob over there would love this assignment. He would really enjoy digging into it. Can we give that to him? That kind of thing. 
Number four, a work environment that leads to increased stress levels. Ask yourself, does the office culture and the dynamics foster a positive working environment? So your cure here is you can, there are things that you can do to improve your personal work environment. So you can put plants and maybe you can put pictures and you can occasionally close your door and get some work done. You can also foster relationships with coworkers, go to lunch with them, ask them out for drinks after dinner, those kinds of things. And you can also do things if you're working remotely. How can you schedule your day and your work environment to alleviate stress and alleviate isolation. So can you have virtual coffees? You know, do you live somewhere where even though you're not going into the office for work, you could meet your colleagues occasionally. You could meet them for lunch or coffee, even though you're not going into the office together. So that's number four. Number five, lack of physical activity. So ask yourself, am I getting enough physical activity to feel good about myself and remain healthy? And I think the cure here is to find micro opportunities. We tend to want to be all or nothing with exercise, or at least I do. But where are the micro opportunities, such as I'm going to take a break every hour and I'm going to walk up and down a flight of stairs? Can I park as far away as possible? That's going to help with the dings on my car. And it's also going to give me some exercise. You know, figure out what you enjoy for an activity and then schedule time for a tennis match or a run or a yoga class and make that a top priority because that's going to alleviate a lot of the stress that is being caused by these other things that we're talking about. Number six, too much work and too little play. So ask yourself, is there enough time? Am I scheduling enough me time? Am I able to schedule enough me time with friends and family? So here's how I like to think about this, and I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think about this as work-life blend rather than work-life balance. When I think of balance, I think of a teeter-totter. One side goes down, the other side goes up. But if you think about blend, I want you to think in terms of what are the ingredients that I can add? Okay, here's the mixture I have right now, and it doesn't have enough time with friends in it. Okay, I'm feeling I'm feeling really isolated because I'm not catching up with my friends. They're complaining to me and I miss them. So what's a small ingredient that I can put into this blend that's going to make that part of my life more satisfying? I'm going to have a little bit. I'm not going to have time maybe to go away for a weekend with my friends or to hang out every Thursday night or whatever it is. But what are some little ingredients that I can add in? Number seven, lack of reward or recognition. So ask yourself, is there evidence that this company and my boss truly value my contributions or is there evidence that they don't? So the cure for this one is if this is a systemic issue with your employer and rewards and recognition are very important to you, it may be time to move on. There may be a a cultural mission, a viewpoint mismatch. If the issue lies more in line with your boss, can you possibly volunteer to lead an employee recognition program with some coworkers? Can you take matters into your hands and create an employee recognition program that will bring you and the other employees satisfaction? Number eight, lack of fairness and equity. So ask yourself, are assignments doled out equitably? Is praise and recognition consistent? And in balance with the achievement, are there favorites in the office? So here's the cure. If the boss's favoritism is hurting your career, it may very well be time to move on and kind of cut your losses. If you choose to stay in there, 
You want to decide that your boss's favoritism and and inequity is no reflection on you or your performance. It's his or her issue. It's his or her brain that has decided that this person is his pet and, you know, gets all the plum assignments or whatever. And it doesn't mean a thing in the world about you. Number nine, values mismatch. Do the values of your employer and your boss align with your values? This is a big one. In fact, I was just on a a site that I'm a VIP on today where I kind of answer people's questions about their careers. And somebody was talking about, or actually it was an article and it was saying, you know, the obvious thing when you're looking at a new employer is what's the pay, what's the benefits, but culture and, and values match is such an important one. And one of the things that I do with my clients when we're coaching together is we work on figuring out what that client's non-negotiables are. What must they have in their employer to be satisfied? Because when they don't have that list, they can be swayed by what I call shiny object syndrome. Ooh, that's really pretty. That's a really cool thing that they offer. And they're not seeing that the things they stated as non-negotiables are not there. So the cure here is if your company makes a product or provides a service that you don't believe in that is against your values, you're really better off leaving. There's really no way that you're going to reconcile that and still be authentically you. And the same is true if the company operates in a way that is incongruous. So maybe it's not about the product or the service, but the way the company is run. If that is incongruous with your values, it's time to get out. Number 10, lack of friendships at work. So ask yourself, do I have close friends at work? There's been a lot of research about this, that friendships are such a determinant in job satisfaction and engagement and productivity. Do I have people at work that I can share my frustrations with, my successes with? Do I am able to be confidential with them? I don't feel like it's going to be spread to everybody. If I'm working remotely, have I accommodated those friendships into remote work in a way that feels satisfying to me? So the cure here is to make friendships a priority. So scheduling time for lunches, coffee dates, you know, ask your coworkers about their per- their personal lives. And again, even if they're working remotely, maybe you need to set up one-on-one Zoom meetings or phone calls. Or again, just because you're working remotely, can you meet these people in real life if they're geographically close or when they come to town to, you know, come to the headquarters or whatever the situation is. This is a quote from Lisa Quast, the author of the recently released book, Secrets of a Hiring Manager Turned Career Coach. A Foolproof Guide to Getting the Job You Want Every Time. And she quotes a woman named Jill Suddy in this quote. While organizations can do much to prevent burnout by setting kind, considerate workplace policies and improving workplace culture, individuals have a role to play too. Understanding what burns you out and trying to alleviate it is important to keeping you happy on the job. Some people with particular personality traits or career paths may suffer burnout more easily. For example, those who have higher levels of neuroticism over worry, conscientiousness, especially if it leads to perfectionism, a potential problem, and introversion in a highly social office may be particularly susceptible. To help individuals do what they can to reduce burnout in themselves, say no to things that are not necessary to do your job without fear of missing out or disappointing others. Do more of what you're good at and less of the stuff that drains you. 
perhaps skipping the Zoom meeting with multiple people and phoning a person you need to talk to instead. Lastly, it is important to have friends at work and outside of it whom you can learn lean on when times are hard. So I think that that quote really points out the fact that you do have power in this situation. Some of these problems give you more power and more opportunity to make changes than others. But recognize your own role in your dissatisfaction and think of ways, especially until you can leave, if you've made that decision to leave, think of ways to make those day-to-day experiences of work more enjoyable while you're still there. I hope this helps and I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.